Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's a huge pleasure to be here, to see so many friends. It's also very frustrating because you see people who've come from many miles and you haven't seen for many years and it's kind of fleeting few moments. So I'm looking forward to a few opportunities as the days go by to get more fellowship with different ones. Praise God for this terrific setting and the great sense of purpose that you're gathering with. I do count it a huge privilege uh, to be with you. These two small uh, Bible readings in the mornings, I hope we can be blessed and inspired as we get into the book of Acts uh, yet again. Okay, let's just pray. Father, we honor you, we love you, we're so grateful that, Lord, you broke into our empty lives with your glorious news. And Father, we welcome you. We thank you for your promise that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so we now ask, Father, let's all ask in our hearts, Father, send the Holy Spirit right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Lead us into truth. Bless us in your word, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When I was asked to choose two passages from the book of Acts uh, for these two morning Bible readings. I thought of the breadth of the book of Acts. I thought, what are the things that really are priorities, things that I would love to really emphasize? And on this first occasion, I want to emphasize what a praying community they were. We read verses like this in Acts 1.14, all with one mind, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Then again in the next chapter, similar phrase, continually devoting themselves to prayer. That's just preceding the mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They're continually devoting themselves and then you find in Acts 6 when thousands have been converted, literally thousands, 3,000, 5,000, and uh, there begin to be some social needs and challenges and problems. And the apostles say, look, look, we must sort this, we must give men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to deal with this. It's very important. But we, we must give ourselves to the ministry of the Word and to prayer. We must give ourselves to prayer. How come these apostles had their Ephesus? Well, They'd lived for three years with Jesus, and they noticed Jesus prayed a lot. You want to be like Jesus? Well, he prayed a lot. And these apostles have been around him. They've been shaped by his teaching and his example, and they knew, they knew if we're going to see this happen, we need to give ourselves to prayer. So we find again and again, they gave themselves to prayer. Peter is thrown into prison. The, the natural uh, knee-jerk reaction is not to scream and put up posters and panic. It's they just gathered and prayed. And they, they gave themselves to prayer, and the prison doors opened, out came Peter. And we begin to find that prayer is one of the absolute centers of the life of this church. It's where the power is. It's where the action takes place. So prayer doesn't have to be seen as a kind of act of duty or kind of devotion, of withdrawing. Actually, it's where the action takes place. Prayer is where the action happens. I wonder if we're persuaded about that. I wonder if you could call your church a place which is devoted 
to prayer. That, that sort of characterizes it. That's, that's what it's like. I mean, it's just a group of people who are devoted to prayer. That's how you would have described this early church. That's what they were like. And every prayer meeting in the book of Acts either results in action or comes into birth because of action. It takes people out on a mission. They gather because God's on the move. And in their praying, God is moving. So the prayer time is a place where action happens. I used to pray as a pastor when I led the church in Brighton. I used to pray as the week went by as much for the Saturday morning prayer meeting as I did for the Sunday meeting. Honestly, I used to pray so much for that Saturday morning prayer meeting. I'd pray that people would turn out in numbers. I'd pray there'd be a breakthrough of faith because I knew that the prayer meeting was where the action really happened, where the breakthrough took place. And there's no greater privilege than leading a praying people into prayer. There's no greater privilege than inspiring faith and encouragement. Come on, let's believe God for this. Let's believe He's going to do it. And teaching a people to pray together. It's a massive privilege. I used to pray, Lord, meet with us on these Saturday mornings when we pray. Because I wanted us to be a people, like in the Bible, the church, is a people devoted to prayer. It's something we need to notice because, well, in our many activities, our outreaches, our alpha programs, our life groups, well, the prayer, prayer meetings, we don't have time for prayer meeting anymore. Boy, if that's the case, we're pretty out of step with this New Testament church. They devoted themselves to prayer. That's the mark of the early church. And I thought in looking at that, I'd take you to one particular prayer meeting, and you'll be familiar with it because you'll find it in Acts chapter 4, which some of you have read fairly recently. <laughs> so Acts chapter 4, I'm going to just take you to the prayer that they prayed. And uh, it says here in Acts chapter 4 and verse 24, when they had heard this, when they had been released, sorry, and went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they devoted, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and said, O oh Lord, it's you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your father David, said, our father David said, why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples devised futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Now, Lord... Take note of their threats. Grant that your bond servants may speak the word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they'd gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So let's notice then, their praying was not withdrawing to their personal Savior. It wasn't simply coming to the Christ that they'd have invited into their hearts. They were coming to this cosmic Christ. 
this mighty God, oh, sovereign Lord, they all together prayed. They all lifted their voices. And the Greek word is despotis, which, from which we get our word despot. And, and usually a despot we associate with someone with sort of ugly power, uh, someone who is tyrannical with power. But the, the word simply means somebody with total authority. And here are these northern Galileans, some of them fishermen, they're out of towners, and they're in the great city. They're in Jerusalem, and they're kind of out of town, and here they are in the big city, and the Sanhedrin, the greatest authority in their lifetime, is saying, stop this now. Now, stop this preaching. You know, these thousands are becoming Christians. You, we, we forbid you, you stop preaching now. And this is their response, this is their reaction to being forbidden to speak. They had had Jesus say to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Now go and make disciples. And they hit an authority that says, no, you mustn't do this anymore. So what is the answer to this clash of authorities? What is the answer to this power meeting this power? It's interesting, Yonggi Cho, who led the biggest church in the world in Seoul, Korea, says this, in prayer, the Christian enters into the priestly function of providing an earthly base for God's heavenly interests. This age has become the battleground for two opposing forces, but God has a group in the foreign land that is able to bring influence of the age to come into this age. The way the world experiences the dominion of Christ in this present world is through the exercising of the church's authority, particularly in prayer. He's saying there's like forces fighting one another, but God's authority is displayed by this people that God has in the foreign land, as he calls us. And it's through the power of prayer that we demonstrate who's really in charge. Jesus says, I've got all authority. He's seated on David's throne. Peter's just preached on the day of Pentecost. He's there. He's the enthroned king. And now they're told by national authorities, you're not allowed to speak. Hey, where does, where does this get resolved? Well, the way they get it resolved is through prayer. They come to God. They say, oh, sovereign Lord. Oh, despotis. Oh, one who is enthroned in the heavens. The one who has absolute authority. Like Paul says, in Ephesians, he's at God's right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, with all things in subjection under his feet. And he is head over all things for the church, which is his body. These people have had a revelation that Jesus, the one who's led them for three years, and was cruelly crucified, has actually conquered death. He's alive again. He's not only alive, he didn't just somehow scrape through. He's thoroughly exonerated, vindicated, enthroned, in charge. He's in charge. And these pitiful people are saying, hey, stop preaching. And they say, oh, Father, oh, Lord. You're greater than this authority. And, and so often, beloved, as we go on our paths, we'll find, hey, we want to buy that property. We want to raise up another full-time minister. 
We want to broke into that area. We want to put out a new site. And often we'll meet authorities saying, no, you can't do that. That building's designated for um, other purposes. You can't turn that into a religious building. All kinds of times, and that's been my experience now over some decades, churches meet with authorities that say, no, 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 you can't come here, you can't do that. And we either walk away or we complain or write to our MP or we learn to pray and we get hold of the one who is absolutely in charge. And this is what this early church did. They learned to lay hold of the one who has all authority. Oh, sovereign Lord, this God who is himself on a mission. We tend to think that we're on a mission and we're trying to get God interested in our mission. We even come up with our mission statement. Let's think of a good mission statement. No, God is on a mission. God has been on a mission from the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. That's what they prayed. They said, oh God, you who created the heavens and the earth. This is your program. It's your, you did it. You started from nothing. You created the heavens, the earth. Actually, God said to Adam, now fill it, multiply, fill the nations, subdue them, rule over the nations on my behalf. As God's representative, made in God's image and likeness, fill the world. And they began to concentrate in one location, so in Babel. And so God scattered their languages, scattered them through the nations. In the next chapter, he says to Abraham, now through you and through your seed, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. God's intention to fill the earth with his glory, ultimately to have a people who glorify his name in every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and that's going to happen before the end comes. God is on a mission. God is on a mission. He's trying to catch us up on his mission. We're not trying to say, Lord, we've got a mission. Can we interest you in our mission? He's saying, I'm on a mission. Can I interest you in my mission? It's not that the church has a mission. It is that the mission has a church. God is on the move. Jesus said to some guys, hey, follow me. I'll build you into a community. No, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus introduced himself to people as one who was already on a mission. He included them in his mission. And so here his mission has come to this point. Jesus has been triumphant. He's conquered death. He wants this to be known among the thousands. And they're told, stop, stop. Beloved, it's not their problem. It's God's problem, and he's sovereign. It's not our little church that's in difficulties now because we can't get into that building. We can't really afford to bring that person out. It's his mission that's being held up. It's, and he's on the throne. And if we will but come to him, we can unlock his power and see breakthrough as they did. God's wanting to introduce us and interest us in his great global mission. Hallelujah. It's so great to be part of, just not just a local church, dear friends, as you are here in commission, not just in a local church, but in churches that are gathered to an apostolic team that are on mission, that we can get caught up in mission, not just in community, but community that's on a mission in God's great plan and purpose. So here we find they're praying, oh, sovereign Lord, you've done all these things. You've started this work. You spoke, they say. See, prayer is responding to the fact that God has made his will known. He spoke. Prayer is not whistling in the dark, 
It's not just, oh, help, help, help. It's calling on what God has already said he will do, who he is. It says back in Genesis 4, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. They called upon the God who had made himself known. He's done it in the Bible through various names. The Lord will provide is one of those great names. You can call on his name. You can call on what he has said. God has spoken. Prayer is responding to God's revelation of himself, laying hold of what he has said. And so we find Elijah, for instance, prayed. He prayed that it would stop raining. Why did he pray that? Well, God said back in Deuteronomy, I'll take you into this land. I'll bless you with fruitful harvests. You'll have rain in its season. It'll be a land of milk and honey and fruits and blessing. There'll be all kinds of fruit and blessing there. But if you go after other gods, I will stop the rain. God had said it. God had committed himself. He, he'd said, this is what I will do. And so Elijah said, Lord, do it. Humble us as a nation. Let there come drought. He said that of an agricultural society. It was like praying devastation onto his own nation. Oh, God, bring us to our knees. Stop the rain. And it stopped the rain for three years. And then God said to Elijah, now go and tell Ahab it will rain. And Elijah went to Ahab and said, it's going to rain now. And then it says Elijah went up to the mountain and cried, oh, God, send the rain. To... But God had said it was going to happen. But prayer is taking hold of what God has said and pulling it into, into practice. So when God says he'll do something, it's not, well, that's it then. It's going to happen. No, it's the basis for praying. So you get in Jeremiah 29, it says this, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good, not for, not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Wonderful verse. We can sometimes kind of cut it out and stick it on our wall. I know the plans I have for you. What does the next verse say? It says, then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is what I'll do. Come and seek me for it. It says about Daniel. Daniel was looking at the book of Jeremiah. And it says, in 70 years, the captivity will finish. This Babylonish captivity, this being away from your homeland, it'll last 70 years. And it says, Daniel discovered in the book, the 70 years are up. And it says he sought God with prayer and with fasting for 21 days. It's not like, hey, the time's up. The 70 years are over. Hallelujah. No, no. He sought God on the basis of what God had said. And then it says an angel came to him. It says, oh man, greatly beloved. Ever since you set your face to seek the Lord, he's heard you. And God's purpose begins to unfold with Ezra and Nehemiah going back to the land, captivity over. God says things to invite our prayer. Philip Hughes in his commentary in Corinthians says, prayer is stressed over and over again in the New Testament as a vital prerequisite for the release and experience of God's power. Prayer is that vital prerequisite. God says he'll do things, God speaks, then he invites us to pray. He invites us to draw near. He invites us to take hold of him, to ask him to pray, to seek his face. 
So prayer is informed by what God says. God says, I'll do such things, and so we pray. And so these uh, praying guys, they quote from Psalm 2, how they would become rebellion, how the nations would try and fight off the reign of the Messiah. And they quote this verse, saying, Lord, this is what you said would happen. Now watch, here it is, Lord. Now stretch forth your hand. Demonstrate your power. And they pray in line with what God has said. It says this, look, take note of their threats. They live with the reality that there are problems. Lord, notice, we, we've hit this problem. We can't get any further. We have this obstacle. Take note of their threats. It's not like there are no threats. It's not kind of a super faith. Look, there are no problems, no problems, no. Look, here are the problems. It's like Abraham, the father of all who believed. It says of Abraham in Romans 4, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated the weakness of his own body which was as good as dead, and the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He knew, he knew he was facing problems. Faith is not saying there are no problems. It's not like Joshua saying, I see no Jericho walls. There's a real problem. But faith looks above. It's like face the facts. Yeah, you can face a bigger fact. Vincent says this, faith apprehends as real fact that which is not revealed to the senses. It rests on that fact, acts upon it, is upheld by it in the face of all that seems to contradict it. These guys seem to contradict the fact that Jesus has all authority. But they said, no, Lord, we look to you in faith. Look at their threats, but we come above it. We look to you. We say, Lord, you promised, you promised, you said and as we do that, as we come to God, as we recognize He's on a mission, He wants us to be successful, He cares about the people we're trying to reach, He sees the problems we hit, the obstacles that we confront, and He's invited us to take hold of His sovereign authority. He's inviting us to say, Lord, you promised, you said, and beloved, it calls for us to be a people devoted to prayer. Otherwise, we're just scratching around doing what we can do. You know, sign our petitions, see if we can do. No, you pray, you pray, you look to God, you seek what God will do. A church devoted to prayer, a church that won't let go. A church that says, Lord, you promised that you would do these things for us. And that's the way they succeeded. I know when I was leading the church in Brighton, we had Tuesday morning was a staff prayer meeting. Thursday morning, all the Sussex pastors got together. Friday morning was our early morning elders' prayer meeting. Saturday morning was our early morning church prayer meeting. We devoted ourselves to prayer all the time. And I, for myself, I, I wanted the prayer, the church prayer meeting, I wanted it to be before the Sunday. I wanted to pray before it happens, before the weekend comes. So we used to have a prayer meeting Sunday night once a month when the church first started. You know, it was 38 of us when we started in Brighton. We had a Sunday night prayer meeting once a month. And gradually we got that up to twice a month. And gradually it was getting some spiritual momentum. You could sense people loved being there. You could sense it was a really good time. But I didn't like praying Sunday night because Sunday morning had already happened. And I, I wanted to get before the event. So I wondered and waited and thought, what's the momentum here? Is there, is there enough momentum? And then, and then the day came, I said, 
we're changing. The prayer meeting is going to be Saturday morning. Saturday morning? That's, when I, that's my only morning for lying in. And it's going to be every, every week. So I said, come on, let's go for it. And praise God, there was enough momentum. There was a, you have to know your flock, don't you? There was enough momentum. People were really beginning to enjoy these prayer meetings. The presence of God, the prophetic, the sense of worship, the sense God is with us. It's such a wonderful thing to be at this prayer meeting. Such an exciting place to be. Okay, it's not going to happen Sunday night. It's going to be Saturday. Oh, okay. Okay. And gradually it grew. And gradually it grew. And gradually it grew. And that's the prayer meeting I used to pray for. That's the prayer we should pray for, Lord, release the finance for this building. It's going to cost what? Hundreds of thousands? Well, we better win the battle in prayer then. Through again and again, we win the battle in prayer before it happened. Because prayer is where the action is. Prayer is not just being dutiful Christian. And beloved, it's not turning up to some boring, dull prayer meeting. It's coming to where you sense God's presence together where the worship, you feel, hey, Father, you're here with us now. Now, Father, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. I remember as we were beginning to pray for the bigger building in Brighton, I said, Lord, Lord, we're going to ask for 100,000 pounds tomorrow in the offering. 100,000 we want. We've never been in that range before. We've been asking for 20,000 quite often over the years. Now we're going to a bigger, we're going to go for 100,000. And we're sharing it. And some people from the church were saying to me, oh, you're completely up. People won't rise to that. That's ridiculous. I felt, no, God's giving me faith for that. Come on, let's pray together. And as we're going through the prayer meeting, I felt God said to me, you've got your 100,000. Now ask me for 200,000. That's honestly true. That's honestly true. And so I said to the saints, I believe we've got the 100,000. Let's pray for 200,000. And so we started praying for the 200,000, 200,000. Give us 200,000 tomorrow in the offering. Tomorrow in the offering. I remember that evening on the Sunday nights before mobile phones, before texts. I'm going to bed that night and I was just going up to, in my bedroom, I hear the letterbox flap downstairs. I go down, there's an envelope. I recognize the writing. I know that writing. It's the guy from the church. And I open the envelope. It says, this morning's offering was 250,000. I, 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 remember, I remember my knees gave way. I, I, I sat on the bed. But beloved, it was one in the prayer meeting. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. God had done it. Prayer is not just being religious. It's not just doing your duty. It's not just calling on your personal savior is coming to the cosmic Christ, the God who says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And dear friends, this is in our Bibles, and this can be in our lives, that we learn to lay hold of God together. No wonder I prayed a lot for the prayer meetings, because that's where things happened, in the prayer meetings. That's where the victory was gained. That's where people got to know God. That's where people learn to pray. That's where I, as a pastor, could teach people to pray. What's more important? What's more wonderful than teaching people? Now, keep your eyes on God while you're asking. Don't focus just on what you want. Focus on the God who's promised. Keep your eyes there. Keep your eyes there. They can learn in corporate prayer what they can then interpret into their private prayer. This was a people 
who were devoted to prayer. That's what it says of them repeatedly in the book of Acts. They devoted themselves to prayer. They came with all boldness. They said, Lord, you, you, Lord, grant to us boldness. They've said stop with no intention of stopping because you have the authority. You have the authority with no intention of stopping. Now you grant to us boldness. You stretch forth your hand to heal that signs and wonders. The whole kingdom keeps coming forward. It keeps breaking out. It keeps breaking out because you are with us. And it says the building shook. I was just, uh, I'm reading again and again about revival at the moment. I was just reading about the Hebrides revival and the Duncan Campbell. It says one of the prayer meetings there in the Hebrides, they're praying and praying into the night. And as they prayed, the whole building shook and things that were on shelves fell off of shelves, shelves. And the Holy Spirit broke out and God swept through that whole territory with mighty revival. Hundreds and hundreds of people were saved. People were pouring out to the buildings, even at night, saying, is there a meeting? I need to find God. Beloved, God wants us to rediscover the power of prayer. He wants us as churches to rediscover the power of prayer. Would you describe your church in the way the Bible describes this early church? They devoted themselves to prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. That's the church. That's the Bible church. Has prayer got a bit marginalized lately? Hey, beloved, this is where the key is. This is where we get involved with God. We don't just study the Bible. Mm, that's interesting. That's what it was like in those days. Close the glass doors again. Mm, interesting. Now, we never do a Bible study like that. We always do a Bible study so it invades our lives. And where our churches are out of line with the Bible, we come back and say, hey, hey, this is Reformation 500 years on from when Martin Luther said, hey, New Testament church wasn't like this. New Testament church was very different. We need to be like that. Say, so, hey, the New Testament church, they were full of prayer. Maybe we need to repent and come back. Say, oh God, help us, help us. And maybe in our twos and threes, if there's nothing big organized yet, get in your twos and threes. There's nothing better than twos and threes, really. I love praying in twos and threes. Sometimes the twos and three verse only gets quoted. We say, there's a prayer meeting. And it starts, you look around and say, you did say, Lord, where two or three are gathered. <laughs> but I, 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 love, I love the two and three. I love the two and three. I found that a guy called Steve Brading, when I've just moved house a little while ago, and he's just moved, he's only 10 minutes down the road. We can get together. We often get together. Oh, we just pray for a couple of hours, two or three. Such unity and purpose, such, let's go after God together. I love it, twos and threes. You're absolutely stirred. Maybe some of your older ladies, you know some young ladies in the church, they struggle a bit with prayer. Hey, why don't you come around? Maybe we can meet on Wednesday afternoons. Or maybe you can, you know, this, she's a praying woman, and you think, oh, I find prayer so hard. Well, ask her, can I pray with you? Can we meet? Maybe two or three of us could do it. That's how I learned. A guy who was five years older than I in the Lord, I started praying with him. It was life changer for me. Let's get together, twos, threes, handfuls, churches, 
devoting ourselves to prayer. Father, we thank you for this new day. We bless you for all that the day holds for us, the excitement, the fellowship, the many seminars and sessions, opportunities to meet with you, conversations over mealtimes, all our fun and sports. Lord, bless this day, we pray. Keep on changing and transforming us into the people you want us to be. Let your word do us good, please, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.